Hello and welcome. I'm Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. On today's podcast, we have Stephen Amsterdam. Stephen is the award-winning author of Things We Didn't See Coming, winner of the Age Book of the Year, shortlisted for the New South Wales Premier's Award for Fiction, and longlisted for the Guardian First Book Award, and What the Family Needed, AWW Great Read, and longlisted for the Dublin IMPAC Literary Award. He lives in Melbourne with his partner where he works as a palliative care nurse. On today's podcast, we talk about book covers, the Hardy Boys, and Bob Dylan. For the media section, we look at The Tick, The Sellout by Paul Beattie, and the 1964 The Fall of the Roman Empire. No prizes for guessing whose pick the last one was. For the topic, we chat about burnout, writer's block, and working through the problems and the anxiety that we create for ourselves as writers. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact me on the email mailbox at penofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. My name is Joel Martin, and today we're at the Brunswick Street Bookstore, and Ian is here. This time, he was actually meant to be here, so hello, Ian. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's uh, good to be here again. How are you? What have you been up to? Oh, it's been, well, it's only been a week since we uh, recorded our last podcast. So it has been, been? Yeah, it's, it's been a pretty slow week for me. So I've been ticking things over and uh, just a little bit of writing here and there, but it's been pretty quiet. Fantastic. All righty. Well, uh, here's, here's an interesting question for you. Um, this is totally not a week since our last podcast, no, totally. but if it was a week since our last mm-hmm, podcast, mm-hmm. was it hard to do things? <laughs> What, in the last week? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I haven't watched a lot of, mm. uh, you know, or caught a lot of things, but I guess it means my excessive consumption of all t- all types of media and literature has not been too high this mm-hmm. week. So. Maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm going to take it as a... So, so does that mean that you've spent this time writing? I, there has been a little bit of writing, but uh, I've, I've been waiting uh, to, to move on with my writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just, I've got a book cover that came this week, so that was good. Right. I'm, I'm feeling pretty excited about that. And but, wh- yeah. When's the book reveal cover? Uh, uh, book, book cover reveal. <laughs> the other <laughs> way around. One, one of those ways. Like a week. So in a week, it'll be, that'll be out. So it'll be good. Ooh, cool. Yeah. So what, what kind of... T- talk to me about a book cover reveal. What is that cover. like? Well, you know... Do people you... just be like, man, that's a terrible cover. Good yeah. feedback. Look, you know what? It's really just an excuse to start your promotional rounds. Let's right. be honest. So you're just, you're <laughs> so just marketing. It is marketing. But, you know, you put out a teaser. I've done that. And then you show people what it's going to look like. It hopefully... Tells them what the book's going to be like. It works. So, so genre fiction writer one hundred and one we have here. Yep, that's it. that's exactly it. So you know you you got, you got to give people a sense because if somebody buys your in my case if they buy your mystery novella and they think that it's just going to be set in Victorian England and then they discover there's a whole bunch of automatons running around, they're going to be a little disillusioned and say that wasn't what I signed up for. But couldn't you just provide them with a blurb? I also provide them with a blurb. You know, you, you give people as many options as possible. To Listen, get I'm just trying to make you look as bad as possible. You, you're like the corporate schmucky marketing agency of this podcast. It's my marketing background. What can I say? <laughs> there it is. I'm too smooth. <laughs> you're too smooth, but it works. It Thank is you. very true. The, the curious thing is, I and we've said this probably many times on the podcast before, but covers sell books. They do. It's they sad, do. but... And for all self-published authors, any self-published authors listening here, absolutely make sure that you uh, you get yourself a good book cover. It's, it's one thing not yeah. to skimp out on. So I, I was at this book uh, book fair in um, in Canberra a couple of years back, 
and you know the one dollar two dollar fifty cent books used books obviously uh and i picked up this book that had the worst cover i've ever seen it was like a Mm. a crusader knight in the most malformed armor that was apparently trying to be legitimate armor right it looked really bad it looked like it was drawn by me Mm -hmm. now (laughs) yeah um and so so i bought the book and i (laughs) So yeah, I bought the book. Yeah, you know, so I bought it because I want to buck bad. the trend. I want to be that edgy, um, yeah. whatever age I was. Mm-hmm. So I read the book, and it was a fantastically written book. Really? It was uh, had really good prose, really good dialogue. Mm. It was snappy, and I guarantee you that book didn't sell because of its cover. Guarantee. I, I have heard. I uh, know we've gone we've gone well off topic, but it's okay. I I, I have I have read as well that um, for George R. R. Martin's first book in *The Song of Ice and Fire*, uh, the initial printing of it uh, had some issues because of the cover, Ooh. because the cover wasn't a great one, and mm. it actually did affect the sales initially. Obviously, he picked up a little bit of momentum since then, but you know it, it can happen for sure. There you go. Well. On today's podcast, we also have a guest. Surprise, surprise. And that guest is none other than Stephen Amsterdam. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so talk to me about book covers, Stephen. How involved were you when you were doing, uh, when they were showing you your book? I actually used to be a book jacket designer. Oh, there, oh, you go. Oh, there we go. This wasn't even planned. <laughs> <In> forms. <laughs> I, was, I was holding back for this whole yeah, thing. I love it. It was good. I um, like it. It's a, it's a great process for one thing mm. because as I I did it when I was working at a publishing house at Knopf and uh-huh. and mm. um, you get to work with the author and you you are sort of this this weird go between between the what the editor fantasizes about what the author fantasizes yeah. about and what the marketing team will ultimately get <laughs> yeah. yeah and mm. you know I I worked on book jackets that that all those people liked and then. Hmm. The sales rep from Barnes and Noble hmm. killed the jacket. Uh, oh, no, they, really? They, they 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 try it out. Yeah, like they 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 try everybody on the jacket. Huh? Wow. So if like one person says no, well, it depends who that person is. <laughs> how right. how yeah. high up on the totem pole they are? Yeah, Barnes and Noble. I can see how that would be a yeah. But it's really. I mean, I I, I mainly did nonfiction, and mm-hmm. that was that was really fun because mm. you get worded up on you know some war you didn't even know about some mm. you know social problem you didn't yeah. even think about too deeply and then you have to kind of come up with something iconic and small mm. and, and yeah. succinct it's 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 a great job wow um so give give me a brief history of of uh book covers from what <laughs> you know <laughs> Spraying it on you. I, there's uh, a reason I got out of graphic design. I was not. I was listen, not in fact a natural. The question is still say. getting asked. So, <laughs> in in whatever experience that you have, yeah. Um, if you were to look at book covers, say ten years ago, and book covers now, mm. give me one thing that you could say is a trend that you've seen book covers. Now. Well, I think more lately, there's there's more. I think we reached we reached peak computer graphics maybe mm, right. 10 or 15 years ago yeah and now you get extra points if something looks ha- done by hand yeah the handmade yeah and i'd say that's that's a big one interesting mm. and for instance the the uh the book that i'm here hawking mm. the um 
the original original certain original um the, the the original jacket that they showed me for the uk edition was like mm. big blocky type and i was like can we do something handwritten mm. and it looks to me it looks a million times better but you know it, it's just you sometimes you look at a book jacket and you can tell well that's 90s yeah. yes and yes yeah you can it's like engravers gothic that's original yes. <laughs> do you know that do you know that yeah, yeah. yes the old i do school i love it stuff. i yeah. think it's great. You love it looked it. great for like the first five years of the yeah. 90s <laughs> maybe time to move on yeah oh. that's curious um so correct me if i'm wrong but the stereotype i get when i look at non-fiction or fiction or like say realist fiction okay. i don't even know if that's, that's the term um but let's just say it is uh the image i get is minimalism not a lot of colors and maybe one image on on the cover is that you say that's too general um yeah well i mean i certainly so i, I wouldn't I wouldn't generalize quite that way. <laughs> um, I think a good jacket is simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really, it, it is, you know, the, 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 the one that struck gold, certainly when I was working at Knopf, was do you, can you picture the Jurassic Park jacket? Mm. Yep. It's, it's a right. sil- silhouette yeah. Yeah. of, uh, one, of the, one of the, what do you call them, bugs? Dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That one. Yeah. I'm guessing you're not a paleontologist <laughs> as well, right? <laughs> um, but that was, he, he nailed it pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Without, wow. without, without giving too much away. Yep. Mm. So curious. There you go. That, that's something a baron not. So, how is, your, is yours busy as hell? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can, <laughs> people can go check it out on my Twitter feed. I'll pin it to the top. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's busy as hell. Yeah. <laughs> So, so when people, uh, so when listeners go to his page and tell him, yeah. Stephen Amsterdam said your book cover is bad. All I'll say is I went for the old school. You remember the old Trixie Belden, Hardy Boys kind of, they were discovering something. Mm-hmm. So they're oh, yeah. coming in from the side yeah. and like, and uh, I, I gave a level of, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, did you, mm-hmm. did, did you create this art? Uh, no, I didn't create it. So I go through these guys uh, at Corgi who have got a great story and they've, I've worked with them on mm. all of my previous covers. And uh, so I gave the, the person, who, they did my original uh, story. And uh, so I um, went back to them again. And yeah, I gave them really specific instructions, mm. photos, all that kind of thing. What I'll do actually is I will, when I put up the cover on my website, I'll put up all the stuff that I gave as, as instruction. So you can actually see. I, I always find that went. process really interesting. And it, it sounds like if you're doing this brief to, if you yeah. gave them this brief like mm. to ape, Mm. Yeah, a cliche. I think that, like, yeah, that's, if you twisted is. it, I think that's always pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah, and I was really, I was really happy with what he came up with. So the mm-hmm. thing is, it's it's a novella. You have a bit of fun, and it's kind of you kind of can go with whatever. And mm. so I enjoy the creative freedom. So, so to be a downer on this parade, you do know that the Hardy Boys isn't red anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, I know the Hardy Boys is a thing, and no, but that kind of that kind of look, that kind of yeah, don't justify him, Steve. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to bring him down here. Well, this is, I this read is a so, dynamic. I read so many Hardy Boys when I was did a you kid. Really? Yeah, I, did I did too. I love. I did too. I, and there, were always, there was always a smuggler. Was like twenty years younger. Than you? <laughs> <laughs> we, we were a little late. I don't know, but you know, like we, there was always a smuggler, and someone was getting kidnapped, and yeah, you know, it was it was great. I never read one. Don't they have like Scooby Doo endings? Yep, yep. basically. Always. Yep. Yeah. There's always yeah. a thing where the father is working on a case that just happens to be related in the end to what the kids are working on. Yeah, as well. That's right. Just and how it works. You know, they, they were, I'm not saying that they were, you know, the height of literary anything, but, you know, but when I was a kid, good. I enjoyed them and I enjoyed the mystery of them. So, and I would just remember the covers. They were always like, there's that certain style uh, which kind of drew me in. You know, the. Naf. Cu- 
Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> so net. <laughs> Very kitsch. Uh, the, the curious thing was, I it blew my mind when I realized they were actually different authors. Yeah, that's right. Yep. It's not just Franklin W. Dixon. Um, the, it was. It, it, they weren't even ghostwritten. I don't think they. No, did they ghostwrite? I think them? they were ghostwritten. Yeah, I can't so remember that. I but I, remember, yeah, I did know it had Franklin W. Dixon's name on it. Yeah. So Franklin W. Dixon was the creator, and just like you know Gene Roddenberry with uh, Star Trek or something, mm. and then it was all different authors. So mm. essentially, a whole lot of ghostwriters just charge out there and do a do a Hardy Boys book. Yeah, and there was a certain amount of consistency, which was curious as well. Listen, we're analyzing this too much. So Sorry. it's the editor. <laughs> the editor was key in that whole thing. Yeah, probably. probably was it like one one. Don't know. One editor at one desk for you know forty years or whatever. That would be curious. I'm not sure. I'm gonna find out a bit That'd more about that. That'd be a pretty that. funny job, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I've been editing Hardy Boys books for my entire career. Well, probably writing them to some degree. Yeah, you're because in, you're imposing yeah. consistency yeah. on all these different writers. Only you know. Yeah, yeah. Or at least you're convinced only you know. I mean, it might be just be Dixon, honestly. Yeah, Master of Puppets. I tell you what I'll do. What I'll do to, to wrap this up, I will go and I'll do a bit do, of reading on do this. Do some research. Find out some more and come back in. Maybe Dixon started back. the line that. Yeah, that he was being ghostwritten. Yeah. yeah, maybe it was all all him. Maybe it was all Ooh, him. There you but go. why would he do that? Wouldn't that just be like because he was a little bit ashamed? <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, you don't like the Hardy oh, that, Boys. Oh, that, one, that particular one wasn't very good. That's because James did that one. Yeah, James is terrible. Re- I didn't think you about that. Sean's a one. hack. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's got a, a different hack. hack he's not coming one. back. Yeah, <laughs> cross that name off. <laughs> all right, there you go. Wow. Well, that happened. Goodness. All right, that was a tangent. Anyway, uh, let, let's let just assume that that was our news section, ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen. We decided to make the Hardy Boys topical again. That's great. Um, <laughs> moving on, let's mm. get into our media section. Mm. So start us off, Ian. What yeah. have you been watching? Well, look, I've been uh, checking out a few things. Uh, but the thing that I wanted to chat about a bit was uh, checking out the, uh, the oh, I was going to say the sequel, the premiere, mm. the pilot of The Tick which was interesting. So they got a live action, uh, live action version of the tick, which uh, was put out by Amazon, interestingly. Mm. And yeah, it was, it was interesting to watch. I kind of, I stumbled across and I was like, okay, I'll check this out. Um, I'm not convinced personally. It, it didn't quite do it for me. Now I loved the tick tick is superhero for anyone who doesn't know. Um, and there was a, in the nineties, there was a cartoon of it, which I just absolutely adored. Um, when I was, you know, in, in my early teenage years, loved it. And, uh, so I think coming in, it's, it's a hard thing. The guys who decided to do the tick, um, because they're trying to translate it to an, to an adult audience, I guess it's probably good in terms of timing. Because you know, people who liked it, like me, you know, we've got time to watch these kind of things. But uh, yeah, it didn't quite translate it to me for the adult mm-hmm. live action audience. Question: Yeah, did you only watch the pilot? Yeah, I did. You have to be forgiving. Yeah. Did they? Is was it one of these things where they you can just watch the pilot and then tell them if they should make the rest of the series, or are there more that you could watch? I think there is. That mm. is actually exactly what they did. It's yeah. a. Um, I believe it was part of an Amazon pilot program. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So they create the pilot and yeah. then it's That's released funny, publicly. Program. Mm. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> it's not actually flying. I, um, I did see a list of like twelve episodes though online. So yeah, I think I, I they, think they they greenlit it though. Yeah. And yeah. then yeah. Yeah. Mm. It it just wasn't quite for me, but I think my expectations were probably a bit high going in i want to be laughing every second so it didn't happen <laughs> didn't happen you know so there you go that's all right steven what have um, you got for us what's on my mind is the book uh the sellout by paul Beatty, mm-hmm. which i'm a little ways into and it's got this uh, i don't know how much to give away um we can put a spoiler warning if you want to get it's right ne- well it's it. like it, you sort of figure it out if you read the Hmm. blurb and any any sort of with any sort of uh, you know 
headlight on. Mm. But the um, basically, it's a rant, and which which is why I really love it. And it's, this mm-hmm. guy's also written two books of poetry, but he's it's like the angriest book I've read in some time. <laughs> and the the premise. I I have a thing against just describing a book by its premise Mm -hmm. because that's not like sometimes that, you know, you could say there's a 400 page book about baseball and that's going to turn off everybody. Um, This might actually turn people on and I think it should. It's Mm. about a um, black guy in a part of Los Angeles that's lost its uh, name because it was too too impoverished essentially. And... um, Things go south, and he's he he's. The book opens where he's in the Supreme Court, being on trial for being a slaver. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! And right. it's set, set circa now, mm. and mm. there's a lot of stuff going on. And really, just if you read the first page, you'll know whether or not you can stand it because yeah, it's right. just full on. Like yeah. it's it's a blast. Mm. So far, so good. Interesting. There you go. Interesting. Anything else? It's on the short list for the Booker. Oh. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I'm just if, saying. If you if get in early, yeah, get in early. I don't know if it's gonna win it though. It, it's got there are things missing. Keta, mm. um, like a hundred pages, and then I haven't seen a female really. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's just it. Which I think there's a kind of book that has like, which is the angry male rant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, he's got a lot of stuff, and there are female characters, but they're they're kind of side. Yeah, like nothing. It's 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 a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. You could argue that it's not quite. Uh, I suspect the Booker crowd wants to feel better about themselves when they vote for something. Yep. Mm. This might not be that book. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, actually, mm. so here here's a here's a tangent, mm-hmm. but this this has very little to do with what you said, but it kind of does anyway. Uh, and that was the Nobel uh, Peace Prize. Oh yeah, was that recently was uh, awarded <laughs> to uh, the one and only. I read a good story about that, that um, some, some guy was doing a profile on Margaret Atwood and then got to the point where mm. they were going to be taking her picture. Yeah. And in between the interview and taking her picture, that news dropped. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, he, it is, all, all I saw on that was that she got the, you know, he got the Nobel Prize for Literature and she said, for what? Oh, um, wow. And, and then if you look at the look at the photograph that goes with the Guardian article, you can see she's, <laughs> you can imagine a certain amount yeah. of Good thought process. fuck all of y'all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Ooh, can I say that? Yeah. I mean, you said it. OK. We're There's no bleeping going to be on this. <laughs> uh, so. So here. OK. I'll roundtable this, um, <laughs> even though it's a triangle. Uh, Ian, yeah. where do you fall on this? You think it's all right? Oh, uh, look. Um, I read somewhere, someone said that, you know, it's like the, the team at the Nobel Prize are always looking for ways, like it was a broad... Ways to spice things up? No, it was like they were given a really broad definition and it's almost like they've, they're looking for a way to make it, as, to push that broadness as much as possible. Mm. Um, and I think that probably sums up Bob Dylan winning it. Uh, winning it. Look, you, you read his lyrics, you think about it. And I mean, for me with music, I'm all about lyrics. I, I love good lyrics. And, you know, there's a lot you can unpack from his, from his writing. So in that sense, yeah, look, I can see how they got there. Literature, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm really big on, I, I never want to be snobby about what's literature, what isn't, but it still feels like a bit of a stretch to me, to be mm. honest. Stephen? Yeah, what he said. I mean, it's it's but but the same like, uh, sure, it's not it's it's not what you first think of, and it's probably in a hundred years, not people are, people yeah. aren't going to be thinking about that for literature. But mm. at the same time, I think of the weirdness of prize committees. Yeah, and yeah, I completely agree. And they, it's true. they, you know, as uh, there was 
Obama has something out on the internet. Uh, well, he was interviewed and he was asked, you know, you know, what awards have you gotten? Mm. He yeah. said, well, the, the Nobel Peace Prize. And they're like, what was that for? And he's like, I still don't know. <laughs> yeah. So that, like was, that was an odd call, for instance. Yes, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So it comes from, I'm sure, a good place. And yeah, some old timers were probably a little pissed off and some people in mm. other domains that might have been mm. more appropriate mm-hmm. could be pissed off but yeah i think if it pisses off philip roth i'm not really that sad yeah. like I, I can live with that <laughs> i don't even think he cares that much i don't <laughs> think so i don't think so either i yeah I, I agree with you i there's a sense that i feel like in a lot of ways there are prizes that feel arbitrary um mm. there are prizes that you don't really you know it, it's the decision mm. of individuals that are definitely not going to have a you know the same acceptance mm. everywhere and yeah. what what do you expect i mean i i don't think that is possible um mm. i think it's fine i think uh well see it's a i'm little i'm torn because i like bob dylan but that yeah. has nothing yeah. to do with this right it's and it depends how how broad like how broad yeah. you, how broad you're looking at and what period of time and what part of the world yeah. you're looking at Mm. And and if you say that uh, his lyrics had an impact culturally, yep. uh, in a way that literature would also have an impact in mm. the same way, mm. it's more about the words than it was about the song, or, or, or rather the tune. Mm. Then I suppose you could get away with it. Um, my my response was what it, what was wrong with Bowie? Yeah. <laughs> See, it's, when yeah, you say that, everyone's going to be like. Well, singers are just allowed now, and they're just gonna find the best singers, yeah. you know, that have have an impact. Yeah, I don't know. Look, I guess we can Nazi say star. It's, yeah, I tell you what, it's got people talking. So at least we can say that it's got people talking, and you know that that can't, that in itself isn't a bad thing at mm-hmm. all. To talk more people talking about literature. It doesn't sell more books. That's true. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. He, like he had one, I think, right. Maybe two. Yeah, it was a while ago, right? Yeah, it was a while. I think. Um, yeah, so that's curious. But, yeah, that, that that's our pseudo-news section that I hijacked <laughs> into Stephen's no. uh, media section. It had to be talked about. So there you go. Um, so I watched, uh, I believe it is the 1960s, The Fall of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. with Stephen Boyd and Sophia Loren. Yes, topical. That excellent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I it's a, mo- a movie or a mini? It is a movie. Kind of yeah, it's oh. a movie. It's three hours long. Um, Epic. Hell of a watch. There's an you know, <laughs> there's an intermission. Uh, <laughs> is she Caesar? No. What? How does it work? She she's Lucilla, the daughter of Marcus Aurelius. Okay. And the love interest of Livius. Marcus's Marcus Aurelius's plurals uh, adopted son figure, mm, right? And it basically t- it's the premise <laughs> of Gladiator. Uh, okay. If if at all you're not interested in history, this is basically uh, pre Gladiator. This is c- as close to the script of it as you can get. Mm. Um, and it's curious because I knew very little about this movie, even yeah. though I'm a big fan of golden era Hollywood movies. I think mm. they're great. I think mm. they're a ton of fun. Mm. Um, yes, it, you know, there's a bit of kitsch and all that, but I love it. Um, and, and is this I, an American movie or a... a yes, it okay. was. Um, big, huge budget, didn't, was pretty much a flop, 
when it was released. Did it start like circa Cleopatra kind of? Or? Yeah, around that basically, like the f- the late fifties, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and it, it was definitely playing on the hype of movies like Ben Hur and mm. and, and stuff like that, and Stephen Boyd being mm. a, a huge figure in in Ben Hur as uh, Masala. Mm. Um, I I I'm. It's it's curious because those films are not very intelligent l- literary wise. They're mm. great spectacles. They're not very smart. Um, I personally love Ben Hur. I think it's it's really just well shot and it's beautiful. I won't say it has great dialogue all the time. Mm. Um, and this movie was odd. It came out of nowhere because it had a sense of being more um, mature, more intelligent. Mm. Um, a lot more thoughtful. Alec Guinness plays um, oh. Marcus Aurelius oh. for the first half of the, you know, he's an yeah. hour of the movie pretty much. Gee. And he knocks it out of the park. Mm. Uh, his interior monologues. I've never heard of this movie. I know. How did you end up watching it? Uh, <laughs> scene cut. We'll, we'll edit this bit out. It was on the internet. Stephen. <laughs> um, I don't believe you can actually get that... Uh, from conventional sources these days. Yeah, I see. So I don't just, think it's a you thing. You stumbled across it somehow. Quote, unquote. There you, go. Um, you found it in a bin for two ninety nine. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So you um, found it in a bin. Excellent. So yeah, I was hunting for this movie, um, and I like to have my DVD collection of uh, Ben-Hur's and The Robes and the, yeah. all these weird movies, um, and this one I couldn't get. So I watched it, and I, I really liked it. It's a mm. very smart film. And it has really stupid moments at the same time. Mm. You can tell they were trying to shoo in scenes to appeal to that generation's uh, expectation. Mm. There's a chariot scene. Uh, There's uh, so when does it time out with Ben Hur? Is it like two years later? They somebody just put it threw it into production when Ben Hur was hitting. I think it was just after Ben Hur, Uh, pretty much. It was it was working on the hype of that movie. Yeah, Um, and people went into the movie, I guess, expecting Ben Hur Mm. and got like a weird philosophical take on an empire crumbling in mm. in some ways reflecting on a glory period of America in, in right. that as well. It's a really strange movie because it's very political and uh in a, in an era where that it So yeah, you think like apply. is it is it about the Vietnam or or ultimately I don't, like, like the deep. thing is I don't want to be one of those critics who's <laughs> like I can see, I can see an allegory here. Yeah. Um I don't want to do that. It's actually Kent State. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, there's a lot going on in the movie. I feel like everything that Marcus Aurelius says is one a um, is delivered fantastically because yeah. it's Alex uh, Alec Guinness, mm. yeah. um, and also because the lines are just very good. There's this weird thing they motif in the movie where they have where uh, characters speak to them. Uh, they have interior monologue uh, where they speak, and a voice in their mind mm. is speaking back to them, having these weird oh. meta conversations. It's really the, good. But was it, it sort of worked five years prior, but didn't quite work there? Or you, it's, it, it, yeah, it, 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 it like, shouldn't have happened. It was on the cusp of not being a fun, like a reasonable technique. Like, mm. sounds, yeah, like, I think... Because that sounds pretty hokey, the way you describe yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> then I must be describing it wrong. The, the, yeah. it, it's really... I think it's, I think it's definitely not meant for that audience. That's why it failed. I feel like it right. is definitely a film that could be translated into a modern audience today and people mm. to appreciate it a lot more. Get rid of all the superfluous fight scenes, yeah. the really <laughs> the bad chariot, chariot race, race yeah. that apparently just kickstarts. It was such an <laughs> odd opening, by the way. The two characters are standing next to each other on chariots. Yeah. And Livius is like, I won't let you 
counterman me and Commodus is like, I'll smack you with a whip and we'll have a chariot race off the edge of a cliff now. It was actually how it happened. Wow. And it, it, it felt like the producers were like, we need a chariot race. <laughs> so, we so need a gladiatorial fight. <laughs> um, we need S- Sophia Loren lying down. Right. It, th- that was that kind of thing, right? Where you have yeah. these moments of brilliance and then these really, like, so it's a little properly trash moments. Yeah. Were there any like I don't know if you noticed? Were, were like were there big directors, producers, screenwriters involved, or was, um, it, was it a big thing? I don't believe. Uh, for the most part, I feel like they were unknowns. Mm. Uh, Interesting. And from me, who's who's watched these movies, mm. I might be completely wrong, mm. offbeat. Um, but within that universe of like the sword and sandal epic, yeah, I don't I don't believe they'd they'd done mm. a lot. Um, one thing, are you looking forward to the new Ben-Hur? You know about this, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I I saw the trailer. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and I didn't see the movie, uh, because the trailer looked very bad. Is it out? It is out. I think it's been... I think it's finished. It's done its run. Oh, really? That was fast? Very fast. It it went off in like a week or something. Uh, I believe the term unmitigated disaster (laughs) may may have been thrown around. Yeah. What were they... I, okay, so, yeah, this, this is... This, <laughs> help me, Hollywood. Just explain yeah. your process to me, because Ben-Hur, yeah. a revered film yeah. for 1950s Hollywood, mm. revered for different reasons mm. than films are revered today, yeah. uh, reviewed simply because it is a classic. Now, strip away all of that. You're like, yeah, I can tell you what sells. Yeah. We'll appeal to the old audience to watch this movie. They're going to love it. Because they buy tickets. Because they buy tickets. tickets. And they love movies that, like, completely rip out the soul of what the movie was about, right? Um, And then they were like, hey, wait a minute. We'll actually attract a young audience with, like, really good-looking actors and amazing set pieces. Uh, Tons of CGI and people flying in the skies with chains attached to their legs during when the galleys hit each other. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Uh, The truth. I I can't... just, I don't know what happened. Somebody had a lot of money and threw it away on this movie, I think. Yeah. Um, and Morgan Freeman got in there somehow, right? Yeah, so. with the dreads. Um, yeah, with the dreads. Oh, yeah, yeah. Morgan Freeman with dreads. That was... I mean, maybe the highlight of the movie. Uh, <laughs> so did he just say, yeah, sure, I'll do it? What was his, <laughs> what was his, what was his motivation? I feel like Morgan Freeman stopped carrying at like one stage of his career. <laughs> I feel like he had two pieces of paper and he signed the wrong one. Maybe. <laughs> oh, wait, I signed up to that one? Oh, no. I thought it was yeah. the new Star Wars. Anyway, it didn't go well. Yeah, so I, I don't understand. Uh, it, it's definitely not going to appeal to a young audience but mm. because who cares about Ben-Hur? Um mm. It's not going to appeal to an old audience because they're going to be like, back in my day, Ben, that was really good. It's, That'll be me, by the way. It's the same thing. It kind of, for me, it's the same kind of Lone Ranger thing. You try and you try and recreate mm. the nostalgia people feel for something, yeah. but you lose the soul of it at the same time. But without understanding why, that, it, thi- why yeah. that thing was a, exactly. a hit when it was a hit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like the intent to create is yeah. different to, the, yeah. to what they're doing. And, uh, and they just mind. give themselves all those problems like... Lone Ranger being yeah. a fine example of <laughs> things that just might not translate today that, yeah. that, that smoothly. You know, the nope. strangest thing is that if they had just made the Lone Ranger movie without calling it the Lone Ranger mm. and uh, propped it up on marketing as like from the producers of, of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean comes a Western epic mm. and do it. I bet you it would have sold more. I made a vaguely yeah. different character. Like yeah, know, yeah. Obviously, you could With, with you the hair a slightly different, character. but like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I uh, completely agree. I I don't understand why these remakes are, are happening um, mm. in such a appalling fashion, but uh, yeah, 
There you go. Actually, I think they're remaking Cleopatra. I think. Oh I've heard that. no! Really? No, no, no. Like I might be, I might just be ma- making stuff up because I, I hope that, you But are. I think I kind of think Angelina Jolie. <laughs> Stephen, oh, yeah. yeah, I got a feeling. <laughs> Am I allowed to look? Yes. Yeah, you, you Google check. it, please. Go ahead. Oh my goodness! So Cleopatra was a disaster when it came out. Yeah, but yeah. I was kind of obsessed with it. <laughs> oh, it's a great movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but this is coming from a person who loves those movies. So biased. I yeah, had. you love the um, era. Yeah, and the um, and Richard Button and everything. Something to know. Oh, there was a 2013 version. There you go. Oh, I um, think that was a smaller release. Mm. Um, yeah. Anyway, the um, sorry, the <laughs> that's the sound of me looking at IMDb. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> the um, the 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 thing. If you are at all interested in that that period of filmmaking, mm-hmm. there's a book called the Cleopatra Papers, oh. which was written by um, which consists of the cables between the press guy in L.A. and the mm. press guy in Rome, oh, wow. trying to manage. Um, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor blowing up their marriages. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, right. Really? That was a thing because they were they were because on one hand the, the film was like tanking already mm-hmm. because they yeah. were way over budget mm-hmm. and she was suicidal and then she had a trachostomy yeah. and um, but then their marriages started blowing up and they really wanted to keep it on the down low because what could be shocking. Mm. Um, yeah, you know what could be more shocking than their marriages ending? But then. It turned out that people actually were that that was the best the biggest selling point of the movie yeah. was that there was this hot romance. So they were mm. kind of st- like managing audience expectations such that when it did open, it, it did open big, and then for the first six hours or so, until <laughs> so people actually saw it and said, "Oh, <laughs> what's going on here?" Yeah. Uh, the the curious thing is, um, and um, and this is me doing real bad fact checking at the last moment. Mm. Um, Excalibur, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the classic John Borman 1981 film. Uh, I, there was a documentary made that I'm just waiting for to, to come out. It's called Behind. I think it's Behind the um, Behind Candelabra? the Sword and the Stone. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't resist. Um, behind the Sword and the Stone, and it was done by Mossy Hair Productions, mm. 2014, I think, and it still hasn't been mm. able. I haven't been able to get a copy of this on any digital distribution or <laughs> ordering or anything. So I haven't seen it, um, and I really wanted to put down money for this because I'm a big fan of the original uh, Excalibur. I think it's mm. the truest adaptation of the classic uh, Le Monde mm. Arthur. Um, and the curious, does it hold up? I think it does. What was the last time you saw it? Uh, last year. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Noted. Um, mm. I showed it to... Uh, so I, I did this thing where I went to this um, couple school school kids, mm-hmm. uh, year 12, and I uh, were watching Excalibur. Didn't hold up for them, though. Mm. Mm. Guaranteed. No. <laughs> was, no, one things moved really Yeah, simple. really slow. Still they found it real yeah. campy. Yeah. Really campy. Um like tin metal armor and just yeah. like the worst choreography. Uh, mm. I loved it. Yeah, the camera work wouldn't be nearly as exciting as <laughs> mm. Gladiator yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and the, the, the performances, I guess, just don't work for them. Uh, mm. So uh, Nicole Williamson uh, was Merlin, and he was married to <laughs> Dame Helen Mirren. Uh, oh, right. For how long? You're asking me to fact check this. (laughs) Yeah, not going to work. I'm not sure. But their marriage, uh, I believe, was breaking up or just broken up 
when they oh, pad them as Got Morgana <laughs> and Merlin. So the relationship helped, I guess, in that in that stage because they did kind of love hate each other mm. um, within the fiction as well. Mm. And I just yeah, please, <laughs> Mossy Hair Productions. I know you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> Release release this documentary so so the three people that want to watch a documentary about yep. Excalibur can actually do it. There you go. It seems like there's a story to be written about that relationship and that filming with the Cleopatra situation. Mm. Yeah, but somebody else can do it. Like <laughs> you put it. Oh out come there. on, Stephen! No, you, you've got this. <laughs> you got this. Okay. coming soon. I'm sure our conversation was research enough. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, you're completely right. Internal relationships messing up a production or helping a, uh, yeah. a performance is wow. really interesting. Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. There you go. Mr. and Mr. Mr. Mrs. Smith. Smith. Yep, yep, yep. yep. So, Who could forget? Yeah. <laughs> Who could forget? So it's Wait, they got married after, right? Yeah, that was the beginning of the affair. They were still right? denying their affair yeah. while making that movie. That's right. That's, right. that's, that's what I But then there was that spread in the magazine. <laughs> and now well, we're... I, I like that. I don't even care. And, <laughs> yeah, that's, don't care. <laughs> and that's still stuck in uh, here like 10 years later. Apparently, this podcast turned into celebrity gossip. That's right. Osmosis. Yeah. TMZ and, presents. And now the relationship <laughs> has taken full circle or yeah. cracked half heart. I don't know. Let's just end You brought it back to the modern day well done well done <laughs> there you go romance is not maybe dead no. um <laughs> let's moving on move, <laughs> let's move swiftly on uh to the topic which is a drastic change of pace uh to, to the boisterous media talk and uh and that is the business of being a writer or specifically um the time we have to have mm. as a writer do how do we find time uh, how do we schedule ourselves? Do we need to write with inspiration? Can we not? Is it arduous? Do we get burnout? And these are the questions that... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes to all. Okay. And these are questions that I suppose all, every writer mm. um, deals with. So let's talk about burnout first because I'm guessing okay. that's the juicy one and we want to keep people listening to the podcast. I don't, uh, so I don't know how much I would... I, 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 I mean, burnout would... would I mean, the whole thing ebbs and flows. Mm -hmm. I think there are people who just go for it every day. Mm -hmm. And Stephen King says, just get the first draft of your novel done in three months and then work on it for the rest of the year. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, that's nice. <laughs> um, nice. Nice thought, Stephen. <laughs> Everyone loves Stephen King quotes. But, uh, yeah. Or the, the other thing that, that, that hangs over me is um, Ray Bradbury wrote a short story a week. A week, yeah. yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> For Woo. fifty years. Yeah. Yeah. And how hard could it be? You we actually do have the time. Yeah. And by the time you're you're in your ten of that, you're probably pretty good at ripping them off. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Whip, yeah. Whipping them off, maybe. Mm. <laughs> um, there you go. But yeah. but I I haven't figured out what I would call I, I don't think I've experienced what I've called burned out burnout. I've certainly had points where I said, uh look, you're not writing, you're just sort of mad at yourself for not writing. No mm. one in the world cares but mm. you. Yeah. Why yeah. don't you just try not writing for a while and see how that goes? <laughs> and I actually had a nice little break from it. Mm. That's good. Um, because really, like, if you don't write another word or if I don't write another word, the world will be fine. Yeah. It, it'll get through. The It'll world will get through. So I beg to differ, Stephen. The world <laughs> needs my vague, obscure sword and sorcery novellas. I, this on is Amazon. what makes me a, a true bummer when I te do, teach writing workshops. I'm like, you've got to get over yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you can't. And you cannot beat yourself right. up if you're not writing. Just mm. like either write or don't write. Mm. Yep. 
in that zone is something that I heard Elliot Perlman say once that that you can if somebody says you know come out and play this afternoon mm. you can say I can't I'm playing tennis with a friend and that they'll say okay fine but if you say I actually have to work on a paragraph mm. they'll say just come well. out mm. yeah well yeah yeah Mm. And nobody respects you. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. Honestly, you're, like, you're right. I, I've like I've now written three books, and I still get that sort of yeah. stuff yeah. if I say like, "No, I can't. I'm writing." It's like, "No, you can come for lunch." <laughs> come it's on. Like, actually, no. Yeah. This is still kind of a job. <laughs> yeah. It is kind of important. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Um, well, if I can, I mean, th- thinking about burnout. So I actually, uh, something I've done in my, in my professional life outside of writing, I actually have a session that I've run with young adults who are overachievers mm-hmm. on burnout because I myself had, uh, in, in life in general, long before I started writing, I had a really, uh, major burnout experience myself where, you know, I felt really drained and I kind of have mm. these things that I talk about in terms of keeping a balance in your life. Mm. How old are these that. young adults? Uh, they'd be like university students. Interesting. So, and they sign up or they, are they assigned to you by a social worker or something? It's generally, I've, I've done it through, well, I've been running like leadership conferences. So I've, I've when I was uh, running leadership conferences with a not-for-profit, mm. uh, we'd, we'd do various sessions. But I, one thing that was always popular, because these were high-achieving uh, young people, they always wanted to hear about, you know, how do you avoid burning yourself out? Because mm. these guys were pumping through university, volunteering, working, mm. doing all these things, and often were, were actually not really coping too well. So to hear someone talk about, look, I have been there myself, was mm. they found quite therapeutic, I think. Um, there were always a few tears. Uh, so, yeah, I, mm. I like to think about um, when it comes to, to writing and to, to not uh, burning yourself out with that, I think it comes back to that life of, uh, to the life choices you make around making sure it fits in and that you have a balance in things. And I think um, what you've mentioned about not being too hard on yourself is really important. Like when, when I was at uni, I remember there'd be people who'd be like, oh, you know, you'd go out for a drink or something and people would be like, oh, I really should be doing my assignment. And you're like, you know what? And it's the same with writing. Oh, I should really be writing tonight. Oh, you know what? Just either, either write or drink, but don't drink while complaining about that you should be writing. You know what I mean? Like or just, do both. Yeah. Both, it's it makes you can be a downer. I think that's just a maturity thing because that was a moment Mm -hmm. where I was like, you know what? Yep, you don't have to. Yes, that's (laughs) right. You don't. You're okay. (laughs) And so, have you achieved burnout with writing yet? Uh, Yeah. Well, I think. Well, recently, this is interesting. So, overachieved. Yeah. Well, my kind of take has been once I finished. So I finished um, writing these novels, and that's when uh, Joel actually got me to come onto the podcast for the first time as a guest earlier this year. Um, And after that, I actually found it hard to to pick things up. And it wasn't burnout as such. I think it was just like I needed space. And I think that that's okay as well. That once you finish something, it kind of felt like you just kind of breathe out, like, okay, that first part of this process is now done. Mm. I just need to take a minute. And that minute has become a little bit longer, and I've only done a little bit of writing since then. But in a way, that's actually been important. And I think that you can put heaps of pressure on yourself, you know, the... I think because the, the idea is once you've written a book, you should just keep writing books forever. Yep. Which is a little bit stupid. Like yeah. the pretenders stopped. <laughs> yeah. At yep. some point, they were like, "This was enough records." Yeah. Yeah. And they possibly stopped a bit late, mm. in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. But just you know, taking time. Like the, the, I know people say it's nice when your book comes out if you're working on the next thing, mm. so you're not too vulnerable and not too yeah. um, swayed by reviews and response or lack thereof. But I, I don't think it's realistic for some people. I, it's certainly mm. not reali- realistic for me. I kind of like like to take a break yep. in between and do something distinctly other. I don't, again, I, I think I don't have 10 books or 20 books in me. I've got yeah. a few. 
Mm. And so, so spacing it out is because you put so much into into a book, like is, yeah. of yourself and of your, the thoughts you're thinking at a particular moment in time. Yep. So that if you just kept going, I mean, some people have this dialogue with their readers, I suppose, mm. but not me. Yeah, not, not you. Yeah, exactly. It can depend on what you're writing as well, I think. Um, and you think about, and music is a good example as well. It does it does kind of tie in. There are certain bands who probably should have stopped, you know, three or four records. I mean, U2 keeps pumping out records. Mm. You wonder if they could have stopped around the time. That was forced on us, that last one. That yeah. was so rude. Everyone got it. They did an awkward thing at Apple, and hey, you've all got our record. I know Bono was really upset about people being upset about it. <laughs> Who was? Was? Yeah, Bono. Bono yeah. He, he yeah. finds a way to be upset, Bono. It's good. Yeah. Um, but you know, like, but then there are, you know, there are uh, some groups that like in, end up in that kind of uh, archetypal um, zone, like Nirvana. And you think about Smashing Pumpkins versus Nirvana, for example, two bands that were at the same time in the '90s. Sorry, this is my generation speaking. Yeah. But just quickly, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of one went on to kind of go into a bit of weird obscurity in some mm-hmm. ways, whereas Nirvana Shut stays with that. And it's the same with authors. You know, there are some authors who. Yeah, <laughs> some authors who do uh, amazing one-offs. Um, you could have To Kill a Mockingbird, for example. You mm. just have, bam, you know, I'm done. But then there are some who, for them... <laughs> do you want to talk about the, uh, the, the other half of To Kill a Mockingbird? Let's yeah. not talk about that. <laughs> Let's, I don't think anyone needed to talk right. about that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, there's that. Or there are people who, who actually, they grow as they write as well. So mm. I think it's a good point to say that you don't have to. But mm. if you want to... If you've got, if it's in you, yeah, go for it. But don't beat yourself up if it's yeah. if it's not flowing. I think that um, I think that that uh, self hate or that guilt that mm. you put on yeah. yourself is the primary cause of if you do get burnout. the The curious thing is, it's interesting when we look at it. You mentioned at the start, Stephen. People don't treat writing as a job job. Yeah. <laughs> they mm. treat it as like, oh, that's a nice hobby that you get paid for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But at the same time, you're desperately trying to stay on a treadmill that you're publishing. Yeah, like, oh, every exactly. two and a half years, I should give them a manuscript. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not sustainable. Yeah, that's not and, uh, and, not, and not like, you know, financially or emotionally. Mm. or. Yeah, and, and, and the curious thing is I think we, we, we put ourselves in a problem when mm. we think people don't treat me or my job legitimately. So the only way I can legitimize it to myself because there is that doubt mm. Mm. I have to then work really, really hard. I have to mm. constantly write. Mm-hmm. I think the, I th- think for a lot of, especially younger writers or or starting out writers at whatever age, I think that's the thing. Mm. Um, and moving to to a slightly subtopic here, uh, there's also a lot of writers. Are, well, we do other jobs. Mm. I think we all do here. Mm. Yep. Um, we're not fu- well. We are full time writers, I guess, but full time writers with jobs. Mm. Um, and that's difficult. Uh, we, you, I mean, if you like your other job, it's not difficult. Yeah, that's yep. right. If yeah. we if we do the job because we need the money, uh, because we enjoy the job, because uh, we think it's a really good experience, or whatever the reason might be, a lot of authors do these jobs. But mm. I think that's uh, I'm pretty fortunate. My, my, growing up, my mother was a literary agent. Oh, right. And yep. so I grew up with a slush pile mm. in the house uh. and got to read that and stuff like that. Which yeah. certainly certainly demystified the process but also yeah. i it demystified the finances mm. i knew she that she was making you know 15 percent of not very much money off yep. of all these people yeah yeah and <laughs> and all of them had other jobs and i think that that's this kind of realism that's not taught especially with the professionalization of writing and, and writing mm. programs and so on there's this idea that if you just you know hit hit the right gear mm. you'll be making a salary 
yeah. every yep. year. And that's not, yeah, that's not quite. It's rough. Like that, that works for a few, a handful of people mm. probably, certainly mm. in Australia. And, and so then unless you're thinking I should get a job I like mm. that I can do that, that allows me to write, mm. um, you're just, you're, you're, you're doing some jobs that you don't, don't like and don't respect. Mm. And then that becomes fr- that that adds to the frustration mm-hmm. and possibly burnout as well. Yep, and uh, it's interesting as well. I um uh, it was about a couple of years ago, um on on Twitter, my my favorite social media channel. Um, I was uh, for some reason um uh, Joanne Harris, uh, author of Chocolat, and she she follows me on there, and I follow her. So I was like, well, you know, this is interesting. I was reading a uh, I some reason was on Wikipedia reading about her and someone mentioned about how long she'd, you know, how long she'd been writing full time for. And I was like, well, I might just ask her about this. So I was like, Hey, how long messaged her and said, how long did you, you know, did you, you know, work alongside that? And on, on, you know, Wikipedia, they said a couple of years, she said, look for 10 years. She replied and said, 10 years, I was working as a teacher, um, alongside, uh, writing. And, uh, and she said that now that she isn't writing as well, she finds that all the, the author stuff's getting in the way, which is, you know, all the promotional, the, um, Mm -hmm. the social media, all those other things. And she's very active on that. And so, you know, there are pros and cons, but for me, I think it comes back to that if you can work, um, then it's, it's definitely worth doing it because it, it just keeps you kind of going. And if, if you're okay with a job, that routine can just help to, to really force you to focus on that writing time, which can yeah. be helpful. That's curious. You mentioned that. And it's very true because if you have a schedule that is, uh, that is Im- imposed upon you mm. by an external force, it often helps you make time for writing. And when you have that time that is designated, it kicks that part of your brain that's like, oh, I've got this time for writing. Now I can write. Mm. And, it, and it makes makes real the daytime yep. at your at your house because it's cause writing's way too lonely a job for me mm-hmm. for one thing yeah but um it's very easy if you've got f- f- the five days of the week ready for you just laying there mm-hmm. you're going to be making sandwiches you're going to be folding yep. laundry yep. you're going to be walking the dog too long you know you're going to be learning about coffee. pokemon yeah <laughs> so um, <laughs> let's don't let's not go down <laughs> that rabbit hole but <laughs> Yeah, but, you're right. But then, you know, having having the split, my my, mm. my day job is, I'm a, I don't even call it a day job. That's like my, yeah. other, my other job. But they're, they're, they're each my other job. But <laughs> I'm a palliative care nurse, and that's an incredibly social mm. job. Mm. And yes. I think, I mean, it's not like, you know, event management. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but it's social in that I see and interact mm-hmm. with other people, which is a really good thing for writers to do. Mm. Yep. For so many different reasons. Yeah. 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 It keeps the crazy away. Yeah. Well, for it, one. it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say. Um and it's a thing because I um I come at this from a different perspective is that you, I, your your other job is contract based in mm. the same house. Yeah, in this, this yeah. and it's difficult because when you're working and working on another thing mm. in the same area, it, it get it gets tough. Well, also um, if what if you know that one's like there, there's a meter running and you're actually making money, and one's like maybe mm-hmm. someday. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly yeah, right, yeah. and you know the one you prioritize mm. uh, if you need to to make ends meet. And and mm. and the curious thing with me is that I do contract based work, so for a lot of the time I'll be working very long hours, and then for you know a couple of weeks I'll be just completely free. Mm. And mm. you'd think. You'd think, <laughs> You'd think that those weeks are the weeks that I get the most creative writing done. No, yeah. no. it isn't. Um, in the end, somehow I convince myself that those weeks are my research time mm-hmm. or that those weeks are my knowledge time or my reading time. 
<laughs> That's right. It's not a visual medium. We can just gloss over that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks, Stephen. Uh, and yes, uh, so, so so that that long period of nothing stimulating mm. you, apart from you trying to find yeah. stimulation, is the time that I find I get the most. Mm. Good. Does, are you trying to, you good. Trying no. to tie it together? That's by good. Chat? I like that. <laughs> All right. Good. Um, it's interesting as well. I took up a job uh, this year, uh, which I, which is quite flexible. Um, working in a school uh, with young people, and I, my my hours are fairly flexible. And I actually thought that would give me more space to write, but I found actually the lack of structure has been a lot worse for me than my nine to five. Mm. Why don't you five. just make it up as you go along? Um, in terms of the, the, the school, yeah. So like, I have um, I, I work with uh, young people down at a school in Brighton, and um, yeah, I I just kind of there this pastoral supporter role, mm. and so you know I'm there, and there might be some nights and weekends and stuff, but you know the the downtime doesn't work so well for me as. Uh, as I, as I found it did, like when I was, I was job hunting at the beginning of the year and I was able to job hunt in the morning and write in the afternoon. And I pumped out the, the, hmm. the final novel in that time because mm. I just, it was easy to focus and uh, anything to get away from the job hunt for sure it was yeah. fine. But um, now I've found actually that I, I'm, I'm listless in some ways mm. because of that. And it's, um, it's been a weird experience because I didn't think that would be the case. I had an idea of what would work for me uh, in terms of balance, but it turns out actually that I needed more. And a, a friend of mine said something when I was, I was having a chat with a friend of mine about this, and, and he said, uh, uh, the classic line, he said, well, you know, sometimes if you want something done, you give it to a bu- busy person. And I think there might be an element of truth mm. in this mm. case, that mm. I'm actually not as busy as I was, and I'm getting less done. I think there's, there's, there's in all of this, there's a bit of self-flagellation again, oh, yeah. like I should be writing. Yeah, And that's true. one thing that, that was helpful to me is a friend uh, has one of those writing studios at the Abbotsford Convent. Oh, you know about yeah. these? Yep, great. And I, midway through this, this recent book, I was just sort of, you know, in a pile and I was like, nothing works. This sucks. I don't want to finish it. <laughs> and somebody else write write the end of the book. <laughs> and... And I said that to her, and I, I, I kind of, I think I was feeling when I like, confessed this to her that I was, you know, in this very dark place. And she said, everybody just walks from room to room saying that to each other at the <laughs> convent. <laughs> and that was, that was actually so freeing to hear that. That's great. It's such a good image. Oh, yeah. <laughs> room to room. Yeah. <laughs> it's over. I can't finish yeah. it. <laughs> It's strange. I'm trying to think so of the last. It's nice to have other. It's yeah. nice to be in that that community for lack of mm-hmm. a better word. But it is interesting. Maybe we should, you know, as writers, you should have a pact to talk positively about things. So I'm trying to think of how often <laughs> I actually have a really positive conversation with my writing friends about that. Sometimes you do, but often it is you you do tend. I mean, we talk in conflict, so it's understandable, yeah. you know, that you talk about what you're struggling with. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, sometimes when things are going well, and I've got to say, I, I look back at the moments. The moments in writing which energize you as well are those moments when everything kind of flows and, and it clicks. And that, you know, it's, it's, I don't think no, writing. T- should, say more about this. It's interesting. Well, I don't think writing should be a mystical art. I think it, yep. it annoys me when people try and make it out yeah. to be like yeah. the muse is there and oh, I'm, I'm in the zone. Yep. But I do recall a couple of moments in particular where I've been writing where everything has fallen in place for me and it's just felt like this is a moment. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, this is a moment. And I remember reading back on, um, it's actually the, the, the climactic part of, of the third book, the, the end of this whole story. For some reason, when I sat down and wrote it and, you know, the, the, the lead character, everything comes together, I, I, reading back over it, I, I read it and I remember putting it down and going, ah, this is actually good. I felt like that moment when it <laughs> felt like it was good, I actually really liked it. And, you know, you can find those moments sometimes. And yeah. if you don't give yourself mm. space, 
if you're you know hating on yourself for whatever you're doing mm. that finding that moment can be difficult i'm not again i'm not trying to mystify the process of writing mm. because i don't think you should and yeah. and i think it, it's curious because people get a lot of advice people oh, come yeah. to this podcast to learn about um, topics that writers talk about and be like oh i can glean some stuff from this and in all of this it's good and, and helpful mm. but i think there's that sense where you need to make this as practical as possible uh, to help yourself. Uh, there was a thing that Neil Gaiman, um, of course, he said something at uh, <laughs> uh, a talk. Neil Gaiman, quite <laughs> what? <laughs> we never saw this coming. Um, I love Neil Gaiman, and he's he, so tight. He, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and he's and he's very um, he's very quotable. Like yeah. everything he says mm. is a good quote. Yeah. Uh, and I like his I like his talks, and I like what he says. <laughs> Mainly because I like the way he says it and mm. how he says it, mm. but maybe it's just because I like him as a speaker, mm. and that's that's it. And I'm not saying his advice is bad, but there was a, there was a talk that's very famous, the Make Good Art talk mm. that everyone's probably heard of, mm. and they they wrote a book about his talk, oh, okay. and mm. it's you know beautiful and mm. in gold filigree and stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there was a thing he said where. Uh, getting to your goal, whatever that goal is, mm. as a mountain, and everything you do should push you towards that goal. Now, that is a good thing to say. Mm. However, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, sometimes, practically, we take jobs, and, and this is something he even said, so it's not something like I'm disagreeing with him, uh, but he said, you know, you do the job to get you where you need to go, mm. right? Mm. Now, I feel like some people might mistake that and be like, well, that just means I'm going to do a writing job to get a a writing yep. job yeah. or to get a book published I need mm. to be doing things to get that book mm. published and you know practically th- that that is good but you gotta listen to the rest of what he says and that you, you gotta survive you gotta think mm. about it you you cannot always rely on on other people to and get you publishing through publishing is such a screwy business mm. definitely yeah and like you can, it's, it's 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 so not count honorable mm. no. so count honorable yeah that's <laughs> true there you go that's true and um, I, I thinking about you know not knowing where you're going and the unpredictability of finding a path. Uh, watching the um, the documentary on uh, the writer of the Matilda musical, who is just Tim. Thank you, Tim Minchin. Yeah. So watching the Tim Minchin and Matilda and Me uh, documentary on ABC the other day, um, wonderful to see uh, just a, a quote by one of the other comedians on there who said, you know, it feels like often people try and create a narrative as to how they got through to the point they're at in their career. And he said, but often when it's just like you're beating through the jungle with a machete, you know, when you're doing that, you're just going for it. You're trying to find your way through. You're trying things just Mm. to get through this dense jungle around you. And you get through that and you you come up to a hilltop and you look back and you say, oh, there's the path that I went Mm. through, you know. But while you're there, it it feels like crap a lot of the time. You know, it it can feel difficult. But I think it's important to, to, until you get that perspective and say, well, Mm. because that, you know, so maybe, you know, for me, I could say, um, oh, when I when I was made redundant at the end of last year, it, it, it enabled me to to write the rest of this novel that I've been meaning to write. You know, but at the time, didn't feel great. <laughs> yeah, I, wasn't I, sitting I, have there a, and, I have a firing that that, that turned yeah. out to be good. But right, yeah. exactly. But at the time, you weren't sitting in the in the firing room going, "Oh, great! Yeah. Yes, thank you thank so you. much." Yeah, you know? yeah. I like the jungle metaphor better than the mountain metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'll agree with that. There we go. Yeah, the, it is very true though, and mm. and I think. Um, one of the problems with the mountain metaphor is it seems linear. It seems like, yeah. well, you up know, and up and up, right? you, up and up. you know what you want. Yeah, it's like you don't. Even when you're writing the book, you yeah, don't know what, you, and, what you're getting for. That's deep. As a as a writer, and it, it's it's um, 
That was good. It was deep. I like it. <laughs> a statement of goal. Um, mm. A Livings, who was on the podcast, uh, he mentioned this to me a while back, and that was Muhammad Ali's uh, wrote a, a letter to himself stating what he wanted to achieve. Mm. And it, it's curious because I think that's important in some ways to know mm. what you want out of life. And that's difficult. Sometimes it's really difficult to know what you want out of life, know what you want out of your book, what mm. you want to achieve with your book, what you want to say with your book. Mm. Well, you know? and how it will be read. Yeah. Yes. And how it will be received yeah, yeah. In, in, in many ways. It's mm. with, with your novels, Stephen, mm. um, did you have a clear sense of where, where the trajectory was? Shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> Shaking his head. No. Yeah. That's not, and not, and not in the affirmative. Mm. Um, mm. They each found their way, and and I think I found certainly that the jungle part is the is the first draft, yeah, and the revision is where yep. you actually get to see the path and get mm. to see oh this is where I was doing this yeah. is what I was talking about this is why I went on about that for fifty pages, <laughs> and yep. so the path only really becomes clear in the very end of revision, mm. and then it still becomes clear. I think when when people read yeah, it, yeah, long after publication, you're and right. The the, mm. the that I just find, oh yeah, that worked, and that didn't work, and that thing that you know there were the the moments that you were describing earlier, mm. the moments did come together, but also there were these things that I thought were incredibly screwed, and I worked on them and worked on them and worked on them, and it just felt like something that was going to be so unnatural and so yeah. looks so like that it had so much masking tape over mm. it that it wouldn't work <laughs> at all. Yeah. Those work too. That's good. Some sometimes, hmm. um, <laughs> but that. What, what was the question? <laughs> We're getting there. The That's idea good. is: Did you oh, have the a plan. clear sense? The yeah, plan, like, yeah. The, where it was like going. The plan to answer the yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> um, We're living it out here. Yeah, we're living it out. There we go. <laughs> well, something like that. Yeah. That, that, mm. that no, I did yeah. not. I did not have a clear plan. I had an I You know, idea this would be about something and started yeah. writing in that general direction and then finding the direction afterwards. And, and, and it's something mm. you mentioned that I find curious is that you said when you go back in revision, I, I find revision the most difficult, arduous part it's the of the best. journey. It, as well as the most rewarding. But for me, yeah. it's yeah. it's yeah. the it's the digging in. And the yeah. curious thing is I say this when, when um, either emerging writers have talked to me or when I talk to myself is you're, I feel like you're most lost, not during the first mm. draft, during the revision, and you can't figure out why this doesn't work. You see, there are different brains in the world. Yeah. Mm. And I, I find the first draft to be hellacious. That's when I'm stomping around uh. the room, playing Tori Amos too loud, and really just not <laughs> <Yeah>. coping. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and then the revision is just, you can sit down, and it's like a math problem. It's like, like a math uh, problem. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, this has wow. to be, this line has to be clearer. Mm. And and I, I totally get it that, mm. that there are people who are the other, the other way completely. But if you could hand me today the first draft for my next book, I would be so happy. <laughs> and I would I would get to work tomorrow, and it would be no, yeah. no problem at all. Yeah. But the first draft to me is the, is the, is a the torment. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it. Email <laughs> Stephen Amsterdam with his next book. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm sorry, Stephen. I'm sorry. Ian, you're going to say something. No, I was just going to say it. It is interesting. Is that, what do you find? Hmm? What do you find with the draft versus revision? Oh, yeah, no, see, I I personally enjoy the first draft, and then the revision. I I, yeah. I struggle with revision, but I think it may be, and it's an analytical thing though as well. I do enjoy it when it comes together, and when you've rewritten something and it just feels crisp, mm. yeah, uh, so to speak. Hear it click. 
Yeah, you, yeah, that's right. And you're just like, oh, yep, it's working. So that that is a very good feeling. Um, but I struggled to get to that point. So uh, for me, probably the first revision is where I really begin to struggle. After that, I do a lot better. That mm. first going back is where I really. But that's you really have the still have a, quite a big lump of clay there. Yeah, and yep. you, and there's all the you know the little. The, 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 I don't know the red herrings, but there are all these things yep. you threw out thinking maybe I could use that later. And it's like, actually, that's not going to be useful. Mm. So you have to get rid of that, yep. that even though you love it. Mm. And pair, pair, pair. But yeah. I, I love cutting. I cut, thir- like, Ooh. in total, I cut 50,000 words out of this book and added 30 at some point. Wow. <laughs> so that's good. Up and down. And, cut, and, it, and it's easier for people who self-flagellate to cut. I'm speaking for myself here. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, that's trash. Because of yeah. course it is. <laughs> yeah. and, and I cut it out. Uh, and you're right. I find it very easy to <laughs> cut cut stuff out and then rewrite um, those areas to what where I want it to go. But it's that finding those problems for me. Uh, we're running out of time. But I just want to ask you a quick, very general way too obtuse question that you <laughs> probably should have an answer to anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, is writer's block a real thing? Oh, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> like, Great. <laughs> that's it. that's the quote. Yeah. Great. I can tweet that. I mean, it, it falls under the category. Of, well, I guess you don't really want to write anything right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there time to do a little pitch for Scrivener? Go for it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do, do you guys use Scrivener? No. Personally, no. But I've that's heard why many wrong. people. <laughs> oh, there we go. Let, let's let's Scrivener fight. is so good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. It basically organizes, helps you organize, and, mm. and perhaps you're not or, organizing while you're you're doing a first draft. But at some point, it's really useful to be able to have the scenes in. It, you're all in one document, yep. but you have a, complete access to an outline view of the whole mm. thing. So you could just have scene. You could have it say scene one or mm. where Mary meets Sally or whatever. Mm. But then that was funny. <laughs> I just, just just came up with that. But then. You have that all together, yeah, and you can move things around. You can search, mm. and and it doesn't crash like Microsoft. And it has a button mm. where you just have the screen with no menus, oh, yeah. no, no no alerts coming through that you've got mail or anything mm. like that. And it's just the type on the screen. Mm. All right, forty five dollars, really easy to learn it. I don't make anything from this, <laughs> yeah. but I, I like Chris Wormersley turned me on to it in the Fitzroy yeah. pool. And I mean, that's not where he actually turned me. He, like he told me to get it. Um, <laughs> that, that, sorry, Chris. <laughs> but then it, it, it just makes things easy. Mm. The end. All right. Hot tip. <laughs> uh, Scrivener, if you are listening and you want to sponsor this podcast, <laughs> uh, email me. We'll chat and I will definitely use your program. Uh, but no, uh, serious. Um, I have heard good things about it and I'll mm. check it out. There you go. Um, Ian, quick question. Is writer's block a thing? Yep, I, I think it's a thing. I do agree. Maybe you don't want to write anything at the time. Uh, for me, uh, the worst period of writer's block I've had was when I hadn't planned well, and it was more of a mm. more of a planning problem than anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was I learned a lesson from that, and I haven't experienced it again in that sense. So, I suppose the answer to the, if you if you're faced with that problem, and I have been, you like I've got you know two weeks with nothing to do, mm-hmm. and yep. I'm not ready to write the thing I was going to write. Is is if you want to force yourself and still call yourself a writer when you're at the pub is just write something else right then yeah yeah that's right yep that's That's right it's good advice um do i think writer's block is a thing yes i think that isn't a mystical thing i think for me personally um it's often because i made a mistake in the document earlier that i've knotted myself in a corner that Mm. eventually finds my way to a certain point and i'm like 
damn it, where did this go wrong? And mm. for me, it helps when I go back to the start of the document and I just start reading it like a reader. And I, I want to see a logical flow uh, progression. And maybe a scrivener will help me with that. Um, so you're doing essentially you're doing something else to, jar, to yeah, get exactly. yourself out of the ditch. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. I, I don't like looking at a page that's not, mm. right. you know, have, have text moving down it um, <laughs> or across it uh, and down. Uh, that That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we are at our... I will limit our in six apparently, Ooh. and uh, wow, that's some talking. That's some talking. We had a great time, I think. <laughs> Enjoy I that. think so. Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk about where we can ask you to go give us money, buy our stuff. So let's start with you, Stephen. What? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell me what is this. This is the self promotion area. Yeah. Oh, um, we don't buy, do it. Buy, the, buy my books. That, buy your books. Where oh, are they available, Stephen? Um, at fine bookstores. Oh, there they, you go. Briefly, they were at the airport, but I don't know if they're still there. Okay, there you um, go. <laughs> Readings is a nice bookshop. Avenue is a nice bookshop. Dimex. Brunswick Street Bookstore is Brunswick also a nice Street bookshop. Brunswick Street Bookshop is a nice bookshop. Yeah. yeah. Um, social media links, uh, if you have any. Uh, um, Myname.com. There you go. <laughs> Easy and simple. You're not on Twitter, are you, Stephen? I'm not. Okay. You know what? Good call. Good good call. That's just from me. Yeah. Ian will disagree, but I think I won't. Good on you. Don't I I Joel tweeted last night at one AM and I favorited it and then he texted me and said, Go to sleep, Ian. <laughs> so you know what? Twitter's not a bad thing. So <laughs> I mean, it's, isn't it like the, the same sixteen people just chatting with each other? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone. Don't give the game away. Listen, Ian has what? What twenty one thousand followers? Twenty thousand, yeah. Dude, good, yeah. What, what do you do? Uh, <laughs> I tweet memes, lots of memes. Yeah, and I enjoy hashtag games. That it's true. Uh, and I have a hundred followers, one hundred six yeah. followers. And you know what? I need, I need less. So what is it like? I like people just. I don't know. I mean, it's, I can see how it's satisfying, but yeah. I could also see how it's like refresh, refresh. Yeah, what's going yeah. on? Refresh. I don't yeah. do that as much. I find that Twitter is a giant echo chamber it because yeah, it's it is. It, it is People who follow you yeah. to like what you say, yeah. and you like what they say, so we all clap each other on the back and we agree that we're awesome. Yeah. yeah, That's the bit I don't like about Twitter. It's However, true. I do think it's a good communication medium. It's really good for promoting the podcast, which is the only reason I'm on it. So, mm. thanks, you Twitter. Um, <laughs> and you yeah. can find me on Twitter at IHLaking. <laughs> <laughs> I am there, um, and I do, I do love Twitter. Uh, keep an eye out. New book cover coming book is uh, up for pre-release soon new inspector ambrose novella good fun so looking forward to working on that good fun um twitter ceos i know you're listening uh i'm sorry i do like twitter you can verify me anytime they've you like. had a bad time without you don't <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah that's that's great you know what one of these days we'll just have like a five minute rant from me talking about what the definition of freedom of speech is anyway um you can find me uh thepenofjoel.com uh, themorningbell.com.au is where the podcast archives are at as well as on iTunes and Podcast Garden that's probably how you're listening to us right now so you, I'm not sure why telling right you right now this. is kind of an interesting thing to say now. Right now how do you know we're not streaming though because oh. you told me <laughs> I didn't I said nothing of the size. I said you we're kind recording. of implied like I I asked you. There's no Ethernet cable. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I kind <laughs> of understood that we weren't streaming. <laughs> All right, there you go. So um, right now is later. It, later, yeah. And as now, it was then. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> and this is totally not within a week of our last podcast. It because it's gonna come out at the usual time mm -hmm. every time. And yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Twitter Joel. All right, how'd the third debate go? Uh, 
that debate. <laughs> Never mind. Presidential. Never mind. Oh, politics. Yeah. I'm so glad that Trump came back and won that. All right. Yeah. All right. Backpedaling. Thank you for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye.